The Republican Party, it's a bit more complicated. The problem here is the presidential candidates. They both want to focus on domestic politics, but they're not the only two people thinking that. The U.S. has the capability of helping both Israel and Ukraine. Polish parliamentary elections are coming up very soon on October 15th. And in amidst all of that, Ukrainian-Polish relations have hit some really low points, actually. Could Europe step up and actually keep up with Ukraine's demands? The U.S. military power is no match for all the European states combined. So if Ukraine loses this support, then it's going to turn really bad. Hi, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Ukraine, a show where the newsroom of the Kyiv Independent explains Ukraine's biggest events in just under 30 minutes. I'm your host, Anastasia Lapatina. Today, I'm joined by the Kyiv Independent Deputy Chief Editor Alexei Sorokin to discuss the growing risk of a decline in international support for Ukraine amid political turbulence in both the United States and Europe. Yosha, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Before we go on, I'll remind you guys to please subscribe to The Kim Independent wherever you're listening to the show, whether that's on YouTube or on audio platforms. Like us, leave reviews, comments. It only takes you a second, but goes a really long way for us because more people will find our show and they will stay informed about the war in Ukraine. So, Losha, several extremely concerning and also outright tragic events have happened around the world in the last few weeks. I'm thinking of, you know, the chaos in the American House of Representatives elections in Eastern Europe, of course, the tragic events in Israel, the terrorist attacks that now led to a war. And all of these events may or may not have an effect on Ukraine and international support for Ukraine. So I want to begin um, by talking about the U.S., arguably Ukraine's most important ally. America's next presidential elections are coming up next November, so that's around a year from now. The Republican Party already kicked off its primary debates uh, to choose their presidential candidate. Um, so could you just begin by telling us, as of recently, where do both parties, the Democrats and the Republicans, stand on support for Ukraine? And, you know, how could American elections affect American support for Ukraine as well? If we start by talking about each uh, party separately, then the Democrats are obviously not the main problem here. Uh, we know that Joe Biden will run for the second term. and. He has a good score on helping Ukraine uh, in this war. The Republican Party, it's a bit more complicated. So we know that a lot of current Republican congressmen support Ukraine. Uh, we know that the most established uh, Republican candidates have constantly voted on prolonging the support for Ukraine. The problem here is the presidential candidates, right? And so the two frontrunners is Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis both expressed questions uh, regarding continuation of the support for Ukraine. We see that both Republicans and Democrats are trying to figure out a way right now to continue the support, no matter who will be the Republican nominee, and especially if a Republican candidate DeSantis or Trump wins the 2024 election. So we have two of these men, Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump, both don't want to keep supporting Ukraine. Generally speaking, both think that, you know, opposing Russia, helping Ukraine fight off the invasion is really of, uh, you know, a crucial interest for U.S. They both want to 
focus on domestic politics, but they're not the only two people thinking that. And I want to move kind of further to talk about the Republican Party in general. Uh, so several days ago, the U.S. House of Representatives, for the first time in history, uh, ousted its speaker, Kevin McCarthy. And they're now in the process of trying to elect and choose a new Republican speaker. How is that going to affect, if at all, um, American support for Ukraine? What, what do we know about who might be the next speaker and, and what does that mean for Ukraine? I think there's like two main problems with this. First is when the House doesn't have a speaker, basically the House can vote on anything, right? So there's several ways that the U.S. provides aid to Ukraine. One is through uh, actual aid that is supported by Congress. Um, through the budget, they have like, for example, right now we're talking about $24 billion that have to be added to the next year's budget for the U.S. to be able to provide mm -hmm. Ukraine with aid. So this is voted by the Congress. And when the Congress, well, when the House of Representatives doesn't have a speaker, they can't vote on it. And that obviously is a big problem. Uh, the second option, how U.S. provides aid to Ukraine is through presidential uh, drawdowns. Basically, if I simplify the procedure is uh, Biden is allowed to say that certain weapons, for example, or certain kits um, are not needed for the U.S. and they can be provided to U.S. allies that need them more. And there was around 44 presidential drawdowns through which Biden provided lethal weapons to Ukraine. Mm -hmm. The problem here is that the amount of those drawdowns financially um, is also controlled by Congress. So right now, Biden can do this for a total sum of 11 billion each year. Uh, before the full-scale war, it was, I think, 100 million. So for example, when he does like 10, 20, 30 drawdowns and they sum up to 11 billion, he can't do it again mm -hmm. this year. And that's also a problem because the number of aid that even the president can just give Ukraine is controlled by the Congress. All in all, they need to vote on a new speaker ASAP. Yeah. The second problem is who will be the speaker. And this is the fun part. So the two main frontrunners for the uh, U.S. Uh, speaker position are Jim Jordan mm -hmm. and Steve Scalise. Uh, both of them are more conservative and more right-wing than McCarthy, but Jim Jordan is supported by the far right, by Matt Gaze, by all the, the eight Republicans who voted McCarthy out. He is opposed to any aid to Ukraine. He voted against all aid packages. He voted against the most recent 300 million aid package. And if he becomes speaker, even if the House in general supports uh, aid to Ukraine, he has the mechanisms and the authority to block um, any substantial aid to Ukraine. He was even recently asked, I think, whether if uh, when he becomes speaker, he's going to put down for a vote a bill uh, that would give an additional aid package to Ukraine. And he said no. So, you know, it, that, that's a very clear indication already that we have from him that, yeah, this might be a disaster for Ukraine if he isn't the next speaker. Well, the second guy, Steve Scalise. Uh, he's also conservative. He also supports uh, some of uh, Trump's policies, but he voted for all aid packages to Ukraine. He 
isn't explicitly against aid to Ukraine, and there weren't any comments from him about stopping aid to Ukraine. He he might play into the far right um, notions that there needs to be better oversight, mm-hmm. or that Ukraine may not use the money the way it's intended, mm-hmm. and that kind of propaganda. But he supported all aid, and I don't see any problems with this if he becomes speaker. Uh, by the way, we say propaganda because the U.S. government itself has acknowledged that, you know, they've been investigating the way their money is spent in Ukraine. And so far, they haven't found any evidence of substantial corruption or problems. Yeah. The, the, the problem here is that there are checks and balances. There are oversight commissions already already in place. Yeah. So every, every time this question is brought up, uh, the facts are saying that Ukraine is using this accordingly. So basically the two options that we see right now, both of them are pretty bad, one significantly worse than the other. It's still unclear whether those two guys, one of them are going to be the speaker, you know, these these elections uh, and these appointments take a ridiculously long time, even, you know, without this kind of ousting in the middle of a term. But now it's probably going to be even longer. Supposedly, uh, the Republicans were set to choose the next speaker on Wednesday, which is the time of this recording, October 11th. So we will see. This may go on indefinitely. But it's clear that whoever is the speaker, um, given the stance of the Republican Party on this issue, the funding to Ukraine is going to remain a hotly contested topic. It's going to remain a problem. Well, there's going to be a problem if there's no speaker. And there's going to be a problem if any of the two people voted in as speaker. So, yeah, we're, we have to buckle up and we're prepared for a really uh, hard ride uh, for the next at least a year. Of course, we can't ignore the war that was ignited in Israel several days ago, the terrorist attacks by Hamas against Israel. Everybody knows of the special relationship that U.S. and Israel have. I mean, Israel is one of the top recipients of American aid, and that's bound to now increase, given, you know, the military aid that Israel might have. So can that divert attention and also funds from Ukraine? Yes. Uh, As... You wrote in your article for the Keith Independent, which I edited and which was posted on Tuesday. Um, you guys should check it out. I think it's a great article. Yes, it's it's a really um, good article. And what is said there, um, and which I think I agree, is that this benefits Russia because it takes away attention from the war Russia is waging in Ukraine. So obviously, if we check like. New York Times, Washington Post, all major news outlets, mm-hmm. and even the talks in Congress, everything is about Israel. Rightfully so, at the yes, moment. Yes, obviously. Uh, and Russia will definitely try to capitalize on the lack of attention mm-hmm. on the war in Ukraine. Obviously, Israel needs uh, help, and but I think that the U.S. has the capability of helping both Israel and Ukraine. And Biden said so as well, right? He was pressured on this and he tried to assure. Yes, but the problem now is that after McCarthy is gone, it doesn't really depend on Biden. And what the Democrats are trying to do, and I think as of now, it looks like it's not going to happen. They're trying to tie aid to Ukraine to aid to Israel. So it's easier to pass the bills yes. with the Ukraine aid, right? Yeah, because most Republicans, even the hard uh, hardliners, 
they support aid to Israel. And supporting this, but also tying aid to Ukraine, may help uh, push the needle and uh, give Ukraine the money it needs and the weapons it needs. At the same time, I think, first of all, the war in Israel has been only going on for a few days. And of course, it's bound to continue until Israel, uh, you know, reaches its goals. Um, but Israel also doesn't have as many military needs as Ukraine ever had. Israel has an extremely strong military. Um, and, you know, th there, like the level of needs in Ukraine and Israel, it ju it's just not the same. And also Israel already receives, you know, a bunch of aid from the U.S. that's already enshrined in U.S. funding and U.S. bills and so on. So um, what I'm saying is like the amount of funds diverted, potentially, it's not that big of an amount in my understanding, unless, of course, this goes for months and months and months, then the situation may change. But so far, I'm, I'm not sure there's going to be a drastic decline. It depends who Israel is going to fight against. Against Gaza or Gaza, That's Syria, true. Hezbollah and Lebanon and like Iran. Iran. Yeah. It depends, right? So let's move to Europe now, Poland to be specific. Polish parliamentary elections are coming up very soon on October 15th. And in amidst all of that, Ukrainian-Polish relations have hit some really low points, actually, um, especially in the context of grain negotiations. So what can we expect from Polish election results? There's two opposing camps that hate each other desperately. Um, one is the governing Law and Justice Party that is set to receive, according to the latest polls, around 35-37%, and they're going to be just short of reaching uh, a majority. And the only party that they can form a coalition with, potentially, is the far-right confederation party. According to the latest polls, the opposition actually has uh, the chance to win. And obviously, the left-leaning opposition will be more friendly uh, with Ukraine and with Brussels. But the problem here is that Poland will still have a conservative president who will potentially veto any um, policy change that the parliament can do. So we, we have currently a situation where most parties in uh, Polish uh, government, they will definitely support Ukraine. So the conservative law and justice party has a really good track record of supporting Ukraine. Poland has been one of the best supporters of Ukraine. Their policy won't shift that much, even if they have to form a coalition with the far right. But obviously, there will be some instances when Poland and Ukraine will clash. If the opposition wins, then also there will be support for Ukraine. Uh, I know that Brussels is banking on the opposition, but then there will be also domestic political confrontation between the parliament and president, which Ukraine also... Uh, Might not benefit from. Definitely, yeah. So meanwhile, in neighboring Slovakia, elections already happened uh, with some pretty worrying results, I think. So the pro-Russian populist party of the former prime minister, Robert Fico, uh, came on top um, with most of the votes. And so the question is, how big of a deal is this for Ukraine? Well, it's a bit more complicated than that in Slovakia. Uh, the smear party of the former prime minister won, but also needs uh, coalition partners. Um, so one coalition partner is said it's the far right, as as in Poland, uh, far right party. The other coalition member potentially is the Hlas party or the voice party of also one former uh, prime minister, which is more centrist. It's 
it's not Eurosceptic, it's actually pro-European Union. It's also questioning aid to Ukraine, but it's it's more in the center, right? Um, most likely the Halas party, the Smear party, and the far-right party uh, will form a coalition. Their coalition will have only 79 lawmakers in a 150-seated parliament, meaning that it was it's going to be a really slim majority. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they will probably not provide Ukraine with financial or most likely military aid. But is Slovakia like a really big donor to Ukraine at the moment? That's it's the a thing. pretty small country. Yeah, and that's why I wouldn't say that Slovakia is a problem because it will definitely stop any financial or military aid. But judging from what the officials they're saying, Slovakia is not gonna be confrontational with Brussels, and it's not gonna uh, veto any EU support. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Ukraine. They still have a pro-Western president, which in Slovakia, uh, she has some powers. uh, And also there's a really pro-European opposition. And also Slovakia, uh, with all the talk about not supporting aid to Ukraine, uh, there's actually no point in being confrontational with Brussels because Slovakia is one of the recipients of aid from Brussels and obviously, I don't see any Slovak politician, even a Eurosceptic one, openly opposing any EU policy. So we will not get aid from Slovakia, but I wouldn't say that it's a case similar to Hungary, to Orban. Um, it's more of a case similar to, I would say, Poland. Let's now consider a much bigger picture. I know this is something that worries you and also many Ukrainians. So. Going back to America for a sec, if American politics do take this isolationist turn and let's say Trump or someone alike wins the presidential election, decides that, you know, Ukraine is no longer a priority, we're going to focus on the border with Mexico, domestic crime, whatever. Could Europe step up and actually keep up with Ukraine's demands? No. We need more than that. Okay. (laughs) Europe, in terms of financial aid... Uh, the European Union pledged more and already provided more uh, to Ukraine than the U.S. The problem here is that obviously the military aid, most of it comes from the U.S. Europe won't have the capacity and the ability to provide as much as the U.S. provides militarily to Ukraine. Europe doesn't have those weapons. Europe doesn't have shells. Tanks. Production capacity, pr- Production capacity is weak. So the European defense relies on the U.S. And Ukrainian defense relies on the U.S. So if the U.S. stops providing military support to Ukraine, then it's going to turn really, really bad for Ukraine. So despite all the talks that a lot of European officials told me that in a few years, Europe is going to ramp up production. Europe is going to provide more shells. Europe is getting ready. There are all of these plans of like joint EU-Ukraine production, these plans opening up in Ukraine. But I guess that's going to take years until that's... It's going to take years. And I don't believe it will actually happen because the US has decades of experience of increasing production to battle for the Soviets, other conflicts around the world. The U.S. military power is no match for all the European states combined. 
So if Ukraine loses this support, then it's going to turn really bad. That leads me into my last question. So we know that the Ukrainian counteroffensive is kind of losing its steam and the winter is approaching. So the war is likely going to become this really tough, attritional kind of war, um, basically competition between industrial capacities of Ukraine and its allies, and then also Russia and its allies. Um, so that means that Western military aid is going to be extremely important uh, for months and years to come. So given everything we've talked about, should Ukrainians have a lot of worry about this? Yes and no. Um, the problem here is that Ukraine can't do much here, I would say, because... You mean to affect... To affect uh, the, situation. the situation, especially in the States, right? In Poland, I guess, but the, the main audience is in the U.S., and Ukraine already uh, did a substantial effort uh, to persuade both Republicans and Democrats to, to support Ukraine. And now, that's because all yeah. of these problems are inherently domestic, right? Unfortunately, yes. Unfortunately, Ukraine had become uh, a card as part of domestic uh, problems of the U.S., right? And Europe. And Europe to, to an extent, but for the U.S., we see that the question of aid to Ukraine is more and more a domestic issue. And unfortunately, some politicians in one of the two parties that are gaining more and more influence are using this in their personal agenda. We're now going to be moving to some questions that we got from the members of our community. As always, I'll remind you guys to go to cubindependent.com slash membership. It's really easy to support us there, either with a one-time donation or a monthly subscription to Cube Independent for as little as $5 a month. And you get really cool perks, including uh, the ability to send us in questions before every single episode of the podcast. And the question that we're addressing today is, given everything we've talked about in this podcast, what are Ukraine's options if the global support continues to decline? Um, and another part of that is, would Ukraine ever consider giving up territory in exchange for a peace agreement or give up NATO or EU aspirations? Well, answering the last part of the question, obviously no. Uh, there's a consensus among Ukrainians that Ukraine won't give up any territory. There's not going to be any territorial concessions to Russia or there's not going to be any concessions in terms of NATO or European Union membership. And we're talking about like a 95 plus yeah. percentage of Ukrainian population, according to polls. That Between 91 and what, 96, yeah. yes. So we see that whatever happens on the battlefield, whatever happens uh, in this war, this will most likely not change. We're two years in and- It could have changed and yeah. it hasn't. And if we're going about what can Ukraine do? Unfortunately, not much. Uh, we, we know that a successful counteroffense would probably uh, persuade more politicians um, in the European Union or especially in the United States to support Ukraine more. Uh, now, when we're entering most likely uh, an attrition phase, then it's hard for Ukraine to make a case for uh, continuing support. What this will cost Ukraine is obviously most Western weapons are used for offensive operation, for counteroffensive in the South and the East. And without Western gear, this will be practically impossible. 
So I don't imagine uh, the West not giving Ukraine defensive weapons, meaning like uh, shells or like air defense systems or basic stuff like uh, bulletproof vests or helmets mm. or medical kits, right? But for Ukraine to actually win this war, it needs weapons with which it can free, liberate its territories, right? And with the way everything is moving so far, if this war doesn't end next year, we will see a situation where Ukraine, unfortunately, won't have the capability of conducting successful counteroffensive operations. Russia, thank you so much. It was really interesting to listen to you. Thank you. Also this week, at least three Ukrainians were killed and nine were injured in Israel after Hamas terrorist attacks on October 7th. According to Ukraine's foreign ministry, around 300 Ukrainians in Israel and 150 of them in Gaza contacted the temporary headquarters set up by Ukraine's foreign ministry and are awaiting evacuation. President Volodymyr Zelensky also signed a law restoring public access to asset declarations for public officials. The law demands to immediately make declarations accessible for the public. And Ukrainian military reported that Russia launched a new offensive around the town of Avdiivka in the Donetsk Oblast, committing three of their battalions there. At the same time, Ukraine continues advancing near Bakhmut in the east and the Prozhia Oblast in the southeast. You can find our show on YouTube and all audio platforms every Friday morning. If you like this episode, please subscribe to us and like our content wherever you're listening to this show. Support us by going to commitdependent.com membership and becoming a member of our community and also by subscribing to us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening.